I always tell my students, it's better to play a good strategy perfectly than a perfect strategy poorly, right? So sometimes they show me a sim and they're like, hey, look, uh, on the turn, I should use four bet sizes. And I tell them, well, sorry, but you're, you're not going to implement that, right? You're just going to try something. You're not really going to know what you're doing and you're going to mess it up. And I would probably mess it up and OTB would probably do the same because humans just cannot play such a complicated strategy. Hi, and welcome. It's Runchex, and you're listening to my podcast where I explore the topics around what it takes to become a great poker player with various interesting people from in and around poker industry. My guest today is a fellow coach from Love the Spot, high stakes crusher MMA Sherdog. If you somehow haven't heard about MMA Sherdog before, well, he's one of the toughest players in the no limit hold'em online ring games, and he's been at the top for several years. This is a wide-ranging conversation, we cover some of the currently hot topics, discuss studying poker, how to improve your game, common mistakes people make, and there's so much more. Whether you're looking for entertainment or practical advice, there's something for you in this one. Enjoy! MMA, great to have you on, man. Second part, we did one earlier this year, super happy to have a conversation again with you. What's up, everybody? It's good to be here, thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So listen, so many topics that are going to be hot to discuss because a lot of things are happening right now in the poker industry. Some of the things that come to mind, I mean, we're recording it on basically the day when a lot of news came out uh, about, well, all sorts of things, you know, GG poker policies, uh, limitless was on Joey's podcast. That was a really fun thing to see. I, did you see it, by the way? Yeah, I did see it. It was a, it was 20 minutes of, I don't even know what to call it, but uh, it was definitely something, right? Either way, it's good for the poker uh, community because you know a lot of people are obviously interested in what he's got to say and what he's going to do. So I heard he even went on some mainstream talk shows apparently. So it's great for the game. And Lemonless and I have been buddies i i've never met him but we've been buddies for a while so you know it's kind of fun to it's kind of fun to see him progress right i remember maybe four or five years ago he added me on two plus, uh, he added me on skype he messaged me on two plus two and said hey i'm an up-and-coming polish grinder um you know i i see that you're playing roughly the same stakes do you want to talk strategy and honestly, I was a little bit hesitant, right? Because sometimes I get those messages and it's just people just looking for free strategy and they never give anything back. But I, I, uh, I thought, okay, let's add him. And we, you know, I remember we did some, uh, some pilot sessions on Skype and we just chatted and whatever. So we became buddies and, you know, he was that guy shotting 510 and nowadays he's just playing, you know, 501k or whatever heads up against Linus Love. So He's, he's come a long way. So I, I would really like to know what went on in Macau and all those places, what kinds of games he really got into. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be interesting if he talks about it openly because, sure, the, the rise was kind of meteoric. And right now it was pretty insane that, you know, he's not even interested in uh, the 10K games, the Heads Up Challenge on uh, whatever Galfund organized on, on his site. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand, right? Uh, he said it was not really worth his time. I don't know exactly what types of games he's playing. I, I know he's been playing big ones in GG. Maybe he plays on apps as well. But if he's used to, used to playing, I don't know, like 40K NL and bigger, of course, he doesn't want to play NL 10K, NL 10K right? So makes a lot of sense. I mean, if, if, you, if you commit to playing the challenge, you kind of should. 
But on the other hand, I do understand that it's not really worth his time anymore. Mm. Yeah, and it's funny that he issued this challenge as well to the world. Well, he basically said that you know he is willing to play against the winner of the challenge, and I don't know why, but he said he he is willing to play drunk. Well, I, I think he said that because Fader Holtz is obviously an amazing tournament player, but he doesn't play much heads up. So Limitless would have a pretty big edge on him. You know, probably, it's hard to say, probably like six, seven big blinds per hundred, perhaps, maybe like five or six. So if he drinks wine, maybe, you know, maybe that edge gets reduced to around two big blinds. So, I mean, Fader knows, obviously, he's not going to take on, he's not going to take on a heads up specialist, right? What, what's mm-hmm. the point? Yeah. I mean, what is the point of playing a game in which you know you're losing unless you spice things up a bit uh, by lim- by having him play drunk? But I'm guessing that Limitless probably can have a few glasses of wine and he'll be fine. <laughs> he seems like he'll be fine, yeah. But it's still, I mean, interesting idea. And I'm not sure what kind of message it sends, but I also found that part interesting, which you've mentioned that he went on some mainstream talk shows in Pol- Poland. And that's definitely a great thing because obviously poker, as far as I know, is a bit of a gray zone in in Poland. So, you know, he's doing his part and trying to bring it a bit to mainstream and hopefully change the regulation. That is a big market potentially. I'm not sure how big of a market it would be. Uh, Eastern European countries tend to not be a very lucrative market, as in most of the people in Eastern Europe don't make as much money as the Western Europeans Right. So the people who do tend to play, they tend to be professional. So, um, for instance, on 8 8 you have a lot of people from the Arab countries and obviously those are really rich. Right. So you often see uh, recreational players from those countries. But if you look at countries like Belarus, I mean, when was the last time you saw a fish from Belarus? Never. Right. If I see a player, if I see a player from Belarus, I don't even look at their stats. I don't look at how they play. I don't care about their avatar. I don't care if they have a picture of themselves with their dog. I just mark them reg automatically. Whereas five years ago, if you saw somebody from China, you're like, oh, nice. This is going to be a six hour session. Whereas nowadays, actually, the people from China tend to be pretty good. As in some of them are still recreational players and then they're the spot in the game. But there's very few like really, really bad ones. They tend to be pretty good players because they tend to be like semi-retired businessmen who've taken on another challenge in poker, right? So you see a lot of those guys like Talal Shakurchi and those retired businessmen, you know, they're they're obviously not top at at the top of the food chain, but they're actually really good players because they're just smart people, right? They build up a business from nothing. So if they do the same in poker, I mean, why can't they become really good? Why not? Yeah, exactly. And uh, they understand the value of actually learning the game. They're not there just for clicking buttons by no means. Yeah. And, and, they, and they have infinite resources, right? They have a lot of time. They have money for coaching. They can play a bunch of minus CV games and figure it out. I mean, mm-hmm. when we started, right, we probably had like 50 or $100 in the account maybe. And if you're busted, well, the money's gone. You can't practice anymore unless you go down to play money. But if you can deposit tens of thousands of dollars and basically, you know, you know, pay for your tuition, then all of a sudden you're good by it by the time the money's run out. And then you just deposit more because you're rich. So that's what you see in a lot of those, uh, you know, those big streams, right? The 2K, 4K cash games with the Triton mm-hmm. guys, those, uh, those Chinese players, they're actually quite, uh, they're quite good. Like Paul Fua and I don't know all, all the guys in there, but they're all, they're all pretty good. Yeah, and, and so, they take it seriously. They're not there just to gamble away. I mean, they're really enjoying themselves, but at the same time, it's a challenge for them. 
Exactly. Well, the big difference is that those players invite some of the best people in the world on purpose because they want to compete against the best. Whereas if you look at a private game in the Western world, they always just kick out all the regs, right? If you go to, let's say, Vegas, there's a couple of guys hosting private games at the casino and they have like maybe one or two regs in there and the rest is just a little bit weaker, right? Whereas uh, those Chinese players, they want Linus Love in the game. They want Fish 2013 and Ike Haxon in the game because that's more exciting to them because they don't really care about winning or losing a little bit of money. Right, right. Speaking of Linus Love, actually, uh, Limitless and Linus Love have been recently battling it out, right? Yeah, I, I saw them play 200... No, I saw them play 1,500 on Poker Stars, 100, 200, and maybe 200, 400 as well. And so I heard... I. Uh, so in in our Bluff to Spot uh, Skype chats, I was reading something about them playing bigger stakes on on GG like this morning or whenever, but in the last few days. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know how big those stakes were, but I, I imagine some big pots flying around because both guys are definitely action players and not willing to back down. So yeah. I actually would like to see some kind of footage on that because it would be pretty exciting to review. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I, I would be super interested in that as well. We should actually do it on uh, on Twitch. One of the days. You're oh, yeah, regularly on Twitch anyway. I'll, I'll just join your stream and we can do the same for PLO. I think Limitless was playing against Leon. Uh, yes, as long as you do most of the talking so I don't look like too much of a fish, we can do the PLO stream as well. Well, likewise. I mean, in, in Hold'em Streets, I'm going to be a bit lost so I can play mm-hmm. the dumb uh, sidekick and uh, that's going to be fun. But what do you think is going on there? Limitless against Linus Love. Like, what is the point of that? Why are they playing? Well, like any players, I mean, every everybody at high stakes has a big ego, right? So I would like to think that I don't have that much of an ego compared to most players. But it's I still have a bit of an ego, right? I mean, I've been playing high stakes for a long time. I've done very well against many players, also not so well against some. OTB Red Baron, for instance. Uh, so, you know, I'm competitive. I want to play and they're doing the same thing. They just want to see who's best. So both of them believe they're the best in the world and they want to battle it out. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're not going to find out who's best from, you know, just a few hundred or thousand hands. But it's just fun because they both believe they're making money. And, you know, I guess Limitless likes attention and fame a bit more than Linus does. Linus doesn't seem too interested. He, he just does it for competition. And of course, because he wants to make money, right? And I mean, both guys have run really good throughout their career. They don't. They haven't really exper- experienced that much variance, as far as I'm aware. So you know, they're they're just riding the upswing. They're riding confidence, and they just have the skills to back it up. There's quite a few guys in poker who are you know quite good, but they overrate themselves a little bit. But I mean, a guy like Linus Love. I mean, how can you deny that he's not? I mean, how can you deny him being like an all-time great? Right. Mm-hmm. He he's just one of the best players in the world, and Limitless is is as well, of course. Yeah. Do you think they? Well, I mean, they obviously learn from the experience as well. They basically both increase their win rate against everybody else because, well, battling the best, I'm pretty sure they're doing a lot of work away from the tables after the sessions as well. Oh, for so, sure. Well, but but to be fair, you could then also just play 500 and then try and play 200, 400, let's say, against other regulars, right? So yeah. if they're playing, you know, one, two, two, four, maybe even bigger, part of that is just believing they have an edge as well as ego, tilt... Um, you know, girlfriend looking and they want to show off, whatever it is. It's yeah. definitely not only it's definitely not only about EV. And that's okay. Sometimes it's okay to play a game in which you believe your edge is minimal in order to stay motivated, right? It's just very easy to turn that into, you know, a strategy of playing only red games. 
I remember a guy uh, told me that, uh, a buddy of mine, he told me that a few years ago, like, oh, I like to play reg sometimes to stay motivated, sharpen my skills, you know, feel like I'm climbing to the top. And I said, okay, that makes sense. But not too long later, 95% plus of his volume was just playing reg games in which I believed he was minus EV, right? Mm. So if you just play, let's say, six days a week and after every winning month for one day, you just gamble it up a bit, maybe you lose a few hundred dollars in EV, okay, right? That's just a, a price you pay in order to stay motivated and win more money. But it's very easy to then go on an upswing that's undeserved and all of a sudden you're just only playing bad games. And that's not, I mean, that's very dangerous. I remember when I first started playing, I mean, when I started playing 2K and 5K, I was hunting regs that, you know, in hindsight were probably better than me. And even if they were not better than me, I didn't have much of an edge on them. I probably didn't have the bankroll to play them. And I could have spent my time playing other games. So I, I learned very quickly that that's not, the, that's not the approach I want to employ. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the guys have done that. And most of those have retired. You know, a guy like Linus Love really has made most of his money playing tough lineups. But most guys have not. Most guys have just lost a lot of money or eventually did start playing, you know, easier games and started making money. So, yeah, there's only a few guys who've made a lot of money playing red games that are still around, like Linus Love, OTB, Katya18, I think you could list as one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, True Tellers pl- always played the best. And, you know, obviously he's, uh, I don't know how much money he's got, but I'm pretty sure it's quite a bit. So those guys have really stood the test of time. But for every True Teller and Linus, there's 10 other guys that, you know, are extremely good that we don't know about anymore. We've forgotten about them all along. Yeah. You've mentioned that, you know, you've been battling and then at some point you realize that's not the route you want to take. Do you remember why? Why did you make the switch? How did you realize that, listen, this is not the best way to do things? Um, well, so part of it was the fact that I have two very nitty German friends. One of them is actually one of our business partners, uh, Svansa. So he, he started, you know, poking a bit of fun at me, like, why are you playing this game? And eventually I realized, like, yeah, why am I playing this? I remember I was playing, and I, I may have told this already, so I'm sorry to bore you guys in case I have, but I was shotting 5K no limit, and it was late at night, so I was playing, and OTB was open sitting, and I was open sitting, because late at night, nobody really cares about having the lobby, right? There's not much action going on. Mm-hmm. And so every night, Alex Trev111, I believe is his name, from Australia, would sit, right? And I always, and I thought, like, okay, I'm better than Alex Trev, and in hindsight, I do believe I was. I, I'm better than this guy, but I'm not better than OTB. He's better than me, not by much, but he's better. So I thought, okay, I'm winning a little bit against Alex Trev. I'm winning a little bit against OTB. The rake's not that high. Uh, I believe we may have even had a little bit of rake back back then. So in the end, it's kind of like neutral AB, right? So, okay, I'm not, I'm not sitting here losing money, right? I'm just swinging around while practicing, while having fun. So in the long run, it's slightly plus AB. That was my reasoning. Right. And then, you know, I remember I got owned really badly in a hand against OTB, some of the worst ownage I've ever experienced. And I thought, why am I doing this? Right. Because, because when I play until three, four in the morning, it means I have to wake up later. So that means I can't play a morning session when there's a lot of action. That means I'll start my afternoon later. Can't really maximize me, my EV there. So I'm missing the good games because I'm playing too late when there's no action. And then I'm playing against tough opponents. I thought this is not just not the best way to make money. And then I stopped. So I mean, if I, if I count the amount of hands I've played in which I believe I, I was minus EV, it's probably like a thousand lifetime, right? Maybe like 2,000 lifetime. So, but, but a lot of guys, obviously, I mean, if had I gone on like a 20 buy and upswing, right? Let's say I play those guys and I crush them for like 100K. That would have been the worst success of my career because then I may have believed that I was legitimately the best. And obviously I wasn't nearly the best. 
And then I may have continued playing them, right? And maybe then, then instead of playing Alex, who is a tremendous player, but I thought I was a little bit better, I may have then played like OTB and Katya and, or OTB. Uh, Linus wasn't around yet at, the, at that time, but somebody else. And, and then maybe I would have lost more, right? And then let's say I lose 100K back, but it's very difficult to then say, hey, I'm going back to playing Fiverr and Zoom. I'm going back to playing 1K, right? I'm going to short stack this table because nobody else has got a, has got a full stack. It's very, it's very easy to move up. It's not very easy to move down. You have to tuck your tail. You have to put your ego to the side and really say, okay, this is the way to make money. And the biggest game is not necessarily the best one around at the moment. And that's, that's very tough, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if Limitless were to go on a big downswing right now, I wonder whether or not he's got the humility to move down. I, I, I think he does. Limitless has a big mouth and you know it's fun and he's a great guy, but he's way more humble than you'd think. I think he has the I think he has the ability to move down and say, okay, enough is enough. I've lost eighty percent of my money, but I still have a good amount, right? I'm just gonna take it easy, play weaker opponents, and you know, just grind my way back up. A lot of guys don't have that ability. I think Limitless actually does. So I mean, I hope obviously it doesn't come to that. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for Linus as well as uh, as well as Limitless. They're both. I mean, they're not. I don't really know them that well, so I wouldn't really call them friends. But I've chatted to, to them on Skype uh, many times. Like I've met Linus a few times, so we're kind of like buddies. I like them. I root for them, but it's hard to really pick a side, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I wonder why Linus hasn't been invited to a Legend Showdown. Maybe because he's too good. Who knows? I don't know. Is it was it just based on invitation? Maybe he just didn't want to do it. Um, well, I'll actually spoil that. I was invited to this challenge as well, so maybe they were just inviting only weaker regs. Who knows? Right, weaker regs, huh? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I can. I think I can hold my own against almost anybody in six max, but in heads up, absolutely not. I mean, I'm I'm fine at six max. I, I if I played Linus heads up, I don't know how big of an edge he would have on me. I mean, it's not a gigantic edge, but there's no mm. chance I, I I can beat him, right? I mean. Linus and Limitless, those guys are heads-up specialists by now, and I play some heads-up here and there, and I've, I haven't run heads-up sims in quite a long time. So, of course, I would have no shot, right? Unless I spent months preparing for the challenge, and I just don't have time for that. Yeah, it wouldn't be worth it as well, but Limitless got invited, right? So Limitless got invited. Kind of weird. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I actually Googled the picture with all the guys on it. So it's Bjorn Lee, also known as Asian Flushy, who was one of the be- better heads-up guys back in the day, but I was like five years ago. So I imagine he's probably not as good anymore just because he hasn't been around. Then, then you've got Mate Boyfin, who is predominantly a six-max player, but who has put a lot of work into heads-up. So I imagine he's, he's quite good. Limitless obviously has played a ton heads-up in the last year and a half, so he's really good. Then you've got Kevin Rabichow, who's... Um, Who's always been there? I don't know how he, how good he was at his peak, but he's always been a very good player. Uh, so I ima- he's very good too. So I imagine Fader Holes being a little bit weaker in this lineup just because he hasn't had the practice, right? I mean, he plays full ring tournaments, so that's very different to playing heads up cash games. And then you've got um, Thuritz. I forgot his last name. I, I, I always think Michael Thuritz. Is that is Michael his uh, first name? No, it's not. Mm, but you know, I don't remember either. Well, uh, Chao Ren, I mean, legend of the game, but he hasn't played like No Limit Hold'em seriously in probably 10, 15 years, right? As in, he plays No Limit sometimes, but he hasn't really grinded No Limit and grinded Sims. So I imagine those two are going to be a little bit weaker, even though those guys have probably made the most money out of this list, right? I mean, Chao Ren is arguably the biggest winner in online poker history, 
Fedor is one of them for sure. Yet they're you know the two weaker players, but still amazing ones. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great job either way by Run It Once to produce that lineup and bring that show to people. Oh, for it's sure, definitely a great idea. Oh, for sure, it's great for the game. Oh I mean, yeah, high so high stakes poker doesn't really make poker sites that much money, right? What what you want the poker side wants people to just play low stakes with high rake, and basically eventually everybody loses their money to the rake. Whereas if let's say some VIP sits down with 20k at NL 200 and he donks it off, you know that money just going into Limitless's account, he's going to withdraw it, and the poker side will never see it again. The only reason they uh, they still have a high stakes poker online is because it's great for marketing purposes, right? You can create content and challenges, and you know obviously everybody wants to be a high stakes player, so people aspire to be like them, and then they deposit money, and you know a lot of them lose, and obviously some of them get there. Yeah. But yeah, high stakes poker doesn't really make that much money in terms of rake. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, live casinos obviously kind of hate um, high stakes poker in general because they, they see it as, well, that money is not ending up in the pits. Exactly. Well, some of it will, right? But it's well, just for marketing it purposes. Will, yeah, of course. It's just marketing. Of course. Um, and you know what? I want to get back to the point that you made because I, I don't want to gloss over it. I think it's such an important point that, that you made when you said, um, you know, not winning 100K against OTB, for example, was one of the best things that happened to you in your career because, you know, if it went the other way and you went on a huge heater against those guys, um, inflated ego, all the things that come with it and like you said, it's it's easy to move up. It's really, really hard to move down. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult. So especially if you've been playing for a long time, right? I mean, Limitless made so much money playing high stakes. It would be disastrous if he had to move down. And then, by the way, oh, yeah. I'm not saying Limitless is going to have to, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I have never really seen Limitless run badly. So I'll be surprised if he starts running badly now. Yeah. So but we're going to find out. One thing there is that, you know, once you put a label on yourself, right, or other people start putting a label on you, like, oh, you're the high stakes crusher, you sort of have to live up to that. You know, that's when the ego kicks in real bad because, you know, as soon as you have this narrative of, well, I am, a simpler example would be I am a Zoom 500 player. You know, and that's it. You you can't see yourself playing Zoom 200 because you sold yourself on this idea. I'm a Zoom 500 guy, and I see yeah. it over and over again. You know, and it, it's it's pretty bad. You know, I wish well, that, people were were a bit more flexible with this and not not so sticking exactly. to labels. You should just say I'm a max EV player. I'm going to find the game that's going to provide that's going to make me the most amount of money. So I think Linus's approach is a little bit better. He doesn't really do many interviews. He's not really in the public spot. Like he's not really in the spotlight. So if he were to lose a lot of money, you know, a lot of people won't even know and they're not really going to care, right? Whereas mm-hmm. everybody's going to be watching Limitless. So even if let's say he, let's say he loses like a million bucks playing some super high six games, that doesn't discredit him. You know, doesn't discredit him as a player. But, you know, people are going to think that he's not as good as he uh, claims to be. So, yeah, he's got a lot of pressure on him. Same as in in the UFC, when people talk a lot of shit, you better perform, right? Because otherwise you're going to be the laughing stock. Whereas if you're a guy who doesn't really have a big mouth, nobody's really going to laugh at you. They're just going to say, okay, you 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 walked into a cage with another grown man fighting or grown woman, fight, you know, to fight. And, you know, you just happen to lose. So, whereas if you have a big mouth, yeah, that can really bite you in the ass in the long run. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one thing that I, I think Vinny Vidi did really, really well, that he didn't do any publicity during the Galphon challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so stayed away from all the lights, you know, sort of being able to focus on the game. I mean, in the end, it didn't really work out regardless, but I mean, he, he performed admirably and, you know, what a great game that was. But now he's on Twitter. So by the way, listeners, if uh, if you're interested, Vinny Vidi is on Twitter now. You should definitely go and follow him if you're into that sort of thing. He's putting <laughs> a lot of interesting, great stuff actually lately. What, is, what has he been posting? He's been posting some things about, well, participating in all the big discussions right now, like the GG poker discussion. Right? He shared mm-hmm. some of his private story or personal stories of what happened. He was posting some graphs uh, from you know some downswings whatever people want to see and um, basically sharing, you know, his um, day-to-day as a high-stakes player, an active high-stakes player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some cool advice as well. So, you know, it's it's good to see. I don't know why he's doing it, but I think we should just enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's one of the reasons why we do a Twitch stream, right? Because, I mean, a lot of people learn from it. It's fun. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I, I'm more of a visual guy. So I, I, I would, I, I've never really used Twitter at all. So, in fact, I think it's one of the most toxic environments you'll ever come across. But, uh, you know, if I wanted to watch some kind of poker content, I would prefer, you know, some kind of video. As in, I'd watch Joe Ingram's podcast or, you know, some kind of, you know, mm-hmm. poker-related video. I think those yeah. are a bit more fun. Or even reading on 2 Plus 2. Yeah, right. And actually, Joe has been doing some pretty good podcasts lately. It's great to see that he's back on the podcast um, journey. Let's let's put it this way. I really like the one he did with Rob Young. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, I, I, I used to watch quite a few of them a few years ago. I haven't really had much time. So I just watched some of, you know, some of the better clips. But yeah, he does a great job. Mm. He does a great job for sure. So, I mean, he's great. For, all these guys are great for the game, right? Because they attract attention to the game. And in the end, that, that means a lot of people are going to, uh, you know, are going to try it out. So, and that's in the end what we want, right? We want oh, people absolutely. to enjoy themselves, inject some money into the, the poker ecology as well. And it's great for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And look what happened to chess. I mean, chess is just booming big time because of all the Twitch publicity, et cetera, et cetera. All, so many things going around it. And... Uh, Luckily, poker is also picking up when when we think about publicity and you know the mainstream kind of appeal. So hopefully, that trend continues. Um, yeah, I don't think it will be like you know 15 years ago, let's say, but yeah. it's actually it's actually not that bad. A lot of people say that poker is dead. There's no money, and that you should just move to whatever buying Bitcoin. I don't believe so. I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't buy Bitcoin. I'm I'm just saying that if you're willing to work hard. You can absolutely make a lot of money in poker. And you don't have to be Linus Love. You don't need to be limitless. You don't need to win flips twice. You can just be a good player, works hard. You can make way more money than you would at almost any any job, right? And you can do that in your early, mid-20s with a minimal investment, with no degree, with no boss while traveling the world. So mm. poker, I mean, honestly, if, if you just describe that to somebody, they'll probably say like, oh, yeah, that makes no sense. Who the hell does that, right? Maybe if you live in Silicon Valley and you do, you created an app and sold it for $100 million, okay, then you make a lot more money. But other than that, where can you make $100,000 a year playing, you know, just putting in, let's say, 40 hours of work with no degree in your early 20s? 
I can't think of anything. Even if you're a lawyer or a doctor, if you're a doctor in the Netherlands where I'm from, I believe you have to study for eight years. Uh, yeah, you have to study for like, I mean, I think it's like four and then four extra. If you want to be a surgeon, I believe it's 12 years. You have to work so many hours. You have so much responsibility. You'll probably be in huge debt because it's very expensive to, you know, to get trained to be a doctor. And then in the end, you're probably, you know, hopefully going to make the six figures. I don't know exactly how much they're making, but I hope they make so, uh, that much money. So compared to that, uh, compare that to poker, where you can just deposit some money or get a bit better. And a few years later, you'll be playing mid six and you can make $100,000 if you put in six days of work every week mm. while sitting on the beach, right? Yeah. With no boss. You paying still have way to put in the taxes. work though. Because I you can have to already, put in the work. Yeah, I can hear the people screaming at you like, yeah, you're selling the dream, but there's no way, there's no way anybody can be mid stakes poker. I actually recently read some comments on um, on social media, media, which I used to steer away from for much the same reasons as you. But uh, now I'm a bit more active there. And so many people are just saying, ah, it's that mistakes can't beat. And the truth is, yeah, you can't beat it if you don't put in the work. Exactly. But that's with anything in life, right? There's people who are significantly overweight who complain, right? But then they're not willing to put down the, the McDonald's and they're not willing to go work out. Right, and those people don't yeah. make as much money in poker as they would like to, but then they're not willing to skip Saturday night beers with their friends because they should play a session. Or, you know, people who didn't make it in soccer or football, whatever you want to call it, because you know they didn't want to go train six days a week. Mm-hmm. If you want something in life, you have to work really, really hard for it. If yeah. you work hard, you're going to be pretty good, right? If you work really hard, you're going to be really good. If you are obsessed and work your absolute ass off, then you'll be really, really good. But a lot of people just aren't willing to do that. There's just, you know, or if you want to run a company, right? I mean, there's a lot to say about a guy like Jeff Bezos and it's not all positive, but that guy has devoted devoted his entire life to his company. He has no life, I assume, right? I assume he works probably like around 80 hours a week. He probably has for, for decades. He works his absolute ass off. He's under a ton of pressure all day and he is rewarded with obviously an absurd amount of money. And you could argue whether or not he should have that amount of money. But he really worked his ass off. So I don't like when people say, oh, I'm not willing to work, but I still want the rewards. That's not how it works. And if, if you then uh, are rewarded, then it's not special, right? If you were to eat hamburgers all day and eat chocolate cake and you still have a six-pack, can you really be proud of a six-pack? Because that means everybody would have one, right? The reason people say, wow, look at that, that guy. He looks really good is because a lot of people don't look like that because he's willing to put in the work. It's not just the shape of somebody's abs. It's also what it says. It symbolizes hard work and dedication and discipline and mental fortitude. That's what mm. it really stands for. Not just you know, uh, not just the shape of your abs, as I said. It's the yeah. fact that people are willing to work hard, yeah. and a lot of people are not. So I mean, when I was in high school, I was the laziest guy around. I never did homework. I remember my English test. I had a near perfect score uh, for English. So I remember my friend was done with his exam. And I actually left the building early. I didn't even finish my exam because I wanted to cycle home with him. That's how lazy I was in high school. But then I realized I really wanted something as in success in life in in the form of poker. So I really went after it. And there's many avenues in life in which I'm lazy and I I haven't accomplished anything. But I'm not mad at anybody but myself because I don't deserve it. So you really have to put the blame with yourself. If If you're not in a situation you want to be, it's mostly because of 
your shortcomings, right? And not everybody's dealt the same hand in life, right? Not everybody is six foot four with gigantic cheekbones and an IQ of 150 with rich parents, and they've come from a suburb in Western Europe. Not everybody's as lucky as that. You know, I'm not. That, that, by the way, that's not me, right? I'm, I'm none of those things. Uh, but yeah, some people have a leg up, right? Some people are dealt aces in life. Some people are dealt five three suited, but you can still make the best of it. And yeah, not everybody's equally smart or equally uh, good looking or equally charismatic, but you can work on yourself, right? So if you see somebody who's doing better than you, instead of being envious, you'd say, I'm going to try and be like that person. I'm going to take whatever I like about all these people, and that's going to be me. I'm not going to be them. I'm just going to take a little bit of what I like from every person, and I'm going to be like that. If you see a person who's very charismatic and nice, and you would think that fits your personality well, try and incorporate it. If you see somebody better shaped than you, go work out more, right? If you see somebody who has more money than you and you want that as well, go work harder. So instead of playing a victim and saying, oh, look at all these people, they just have a leg up in life. They may, they may have a leg up in life, but you can still make the best of what you've got, right? I mean, have you ever seen, I mean, you've probably seen this, right? You're like 20 years old, you're single and you see some, some guy who looks like a gigantic asshole, but he walks next to this beautiful woman. You've probably seen it, right? Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> sounds sounds like something that I've seen a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, but but then, I mean, that guy probably is not. He's probably not that smart. He's probably not that nice. But he actually ha- had the guts to go up to her. Whereas, mm. you know, if you if, had you gone up there, maybe she would have picked you, right? Or had you worked on yourself harder, she would have picked you. But instead, mm. he's the one who he's the assertive one who actually when you know he he went for things, and maybe he's not as cool as you could be. But in the end, he's the one who gets what he wants, as in, you know, a beautiful girlfriend or yeah. a nice career or uh, being in good shape or whatever. That's all a little bit superficial. But I mean, whatever you want, but you have to go after it. And a lot of people just aren't. So mm-hmm. and that, that's unfortunate. I think that's something that, you know, we should look that we should try and teach in high school. Right. Not just teaching people facts, but people teaching people how to live their life, not just telling right. them how to do their taxes why to do their taxes, how to have a better outlook on life. So, mm. yeah, anyway, it's becoming a little bit more philosophical, and uh, but but that's okay, right? It's uh, yeah. it's just a podcast. I think some great points here, actually. And you know what? I want to circle back to what you said about being lazy at school and, you know, just all the things, all the examples that you mentioned, for example, that exam thing where you just didn't even finish the exam because you wanted to, to go home with your buddy. And then you discovered poker and you went for it. Why? What, what is about poker that really caught your attention? It wasn't necessarily poker. It was the fact that poker was the only avenue of success I could see for myself. Because okay. I quit university twice. I mean, you know, most people, they, they get a degree, they work for, start working for some company and they move up in ranks, right? And eventually they make more money and they have more, they have more responsibilities, et cetera. So, but I quit university twice because I really didn't like it. And I thought, well, I can, I cannot just tell a potential employer, Hey, I'm pretty intelligent and I can work hard and I have a lot of skills. They want to see some type of a degree. So I saw poker as a way to really get successful myself, right? So without needing a degree or a boss or without having to move up in the, you know, in the traditional hierarchy of life or, or, uh, you know, the hierarchies in, that you'll see in a, in a career path. Right. So what was, how did the beginning for you look like if you go into poker with this idea that, hey, this is an, an avenue where I can reach success? Um, well, I mean, 
in the in the beginning, I just I just played some games and you know made a few cents literally, and eventually goes better and better. So I would just work my absolute ass off and you know just try and study the game, play more. Uh, my my style was maybe not that intelligent, as in I wasn't looking for the best rake back deal or the best affiliate or the best site or the best time. So with me, it was a bit more brute force, as in just work, work, work. But the end in the end, it stuck, and you know my mentality also got better. And in the end, I started making serious money until I moved to Malta. And then, and, you know, I basically I quit my job and then I said, okay, I'm going to Malta to pursue poker full time because I can clearly wait. I can make way more money playing poker than I can with my job. And, you know, I haven't even, expl- I haven't really uncovered my full potential yet. So I'm going to see what happens and hopefully made it, make a lot of money. And of course, did I think that I was going to play high stakes or, you know, that I was going to travel the world or, you know, that we were, that we, that was going to start like a coaching company. No, I didn't think so. Right. Because I mean, you just, you just play poker and see what happens, but it, it did work out for me. And that's mostly because I wanted to work hard because I mean, I was not a guy who, you know, deposited $50 and three weeks later I was playing NL 200. Right. I struggled quite a bit. I think I have some talents and intelligence for sure, but I don't think I am like supremely talented. I just think I hard, have, I work hard and I'm mentally tough, so I don't give up. And then you got, yeah, you got, you have guys like Isildur who are probably way more talented at the game than I am, but you know, and he made it, he made it because of talent, but also because he would just play all day, every single day. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at any athlete, you know, they, they work really hard and they're talented. You need both. Yeah. You need both, but to work really hard. You need more than just a wish, you know, because to stick with it, really. I mean, well, you, first you have of all, like you, what you do. You have to exactly. like what you do. Yeah. I mean, you can't just put in 60 hours plus a week if you don't like what you do. And obviously, I do like playing poker. I like the game of poker. I like all the, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't like everything, uh, every part of poker. I mean, I've met quite a few pe- people in poker that are bad people, and that really frustrates me. Uh, obviously, I mean, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of downsides to being a poker player, but the upsides are just way more important to me. The mm-hmm. fact that I don't have a boss, I can wake up whenever I want, I can travel and I, I can just do, I can just live my own life as in I can be independent, which is what I like. As in, I think I'm a very good employer. I'm not a very, I would not be a good employee. I'm the type of guy that you would just fire because I don't listen. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's the case, right? It's not necessarily nothing. Not necessarily something to brag about. I think I'm a good boss, but I don't think I'm a good employee. Right. Well, you're definitely in the right career then. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy where with where I ended up for sure. So, did I think that was going to happen? No. I mean, you have to dream. You have to dream big, right? Yeah. So, you know, when you're a kid, you dream about playing the Champions League for FC Barcelona, and you know, you don't quite believe you're going to make it, but you still have that dream. If you don't have that dream, then you're most likely not going to make it. Yeah, interesting. You you said, you know, that you love poker and you love a lot of aspects about it. Do you actually enjoy studying poker? Um, I I enjoy it when I feel like it. If I feel like studying, I really enjoy it. And I, you know, I really put all of my focus into it. But if you randomly tell me, hey, go study now for two hours, I probably will not do it. Mm. So I'm a little bit more practical in that sense. I, I like to improve my strategy by, you know, just playing against good players and see, you know, I like seeing what they're doing. And, you know, I try to reason and say, okay, this is a good play. And then I may check an empire or discuss it with other people. And then I implement it into my game. 
So no, right. I'm not a guy. I'm not the type of guy. I remember Khan was saying who sometimes just take a week off, just spend an entire week in the lab and then come back. That's never been me. So what I tend to do, I tend to play a session. Afterwards, I run some hands. I talk about some hands with the other guys, and then I play another session. And I think that's also way more, uh, way more efficient anyway. I don't think war. Uh, I don't think studying ten hours a day works at all. I don't think that works, especially when you don't really have a goal, right? So what I tend mm-hmm. to do, I mark hands where I'm really not sure about what uh, about my play, and then I study them, right? When they're still fresh in my mind, and while I'm motivated to improve, I basically. I study because of insecurity, as in I play certain spots. I don't know whether or not I made the right play, win or lose. So I study them. So next time I'm more confident. So I know, okay, I've studied this and I'm going to implement what I know, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, confidence comes from preparation. If you're not prepared, you always have that, you know, that lingering feeling of like, uh, but was it correct? Win or lose? Like, did I do the right thing? Did I just lose a bunch of money without knowing mm-hmm. I did? Right. And that's a, that's a horrible feeling. I don't like that feeling. Whereas, I mean, if I lose, let's say aces versus Kings blind versus blind, I mean, I don't really feel bad because my opponents would have done the exact same thing. Right. I just happen to get the aces or, in, or the Kings in this case, and I just happen to lose. But if I make, let's say, if I make a play and I had no idea whether or not it's correct, it feels like I'm being irresponsible as if I should have known. And that's when I study afterwards because I want to know what's going on. I want to know whether or not I did things right. If not, how can I play better next time? Right. Interesting. Because, you know, a lot of high stakes players that I talk with um, have the same problem. I mean, there's obviously people like Kanu that, as you mentioned, you know, he's just happy to go into the lab, so to say. But a lot of the guys, they really don't like the study time at all. But no, have much the same motivation as you do of this mm-hmm. uncertainty whether I made the right decision. So let's go check it out. Let's figure it out so that I don't want to be in that uncomfortable position next time. When I'm facing that decision, I don't want to be not knowing what am I supposed to do. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. I mean, and guys, there's no right answer, right? I mean, some people like to study a lot. Some people do not. You have to do what's best for you. There's not no right way to approach things. So I just, mm. I'll just tell you my method. But you know, if you you say, hey, I I don't agree. I'm like Kanu. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Show of Force, one of our most successful students to date. He's the opposite of me. He doesn't really play much poker compared to me, but he does a lot more studying. So I get a lot. I mean, I get a lot better by playing. He doesn't as much because he doesn't play as much. But then he probably gets. You know, he improves his skills a lot by play by studying off the table. So there is no, there is no right answer. I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look, probably if you broke down how everybody approached the game, if you look at top players, I mean, I would, I would say that everybody has a different approach. Even if you look at the top no limit players, or maybe even PLO, you can comment on that. They all play quite differently. As in Linus and Limitless and Make Boyfin and Big Blind Bets and Yasam Gale and Poker Clucka and all the guys you see, uh, Reg Battle High Stakes, all of them play quite differently. It's not like they're all playing exactly the same style. So, which is really cool, right? Which means you can actually adopt your own style and there is no one way to play poker correctly. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's definitely the same in, in PLO. I mean, to the point where even the preflop strategies differ quite a lot, even among mm-hmm. the, you know, some of the best regs out there in the six max. If we talk about six max, and same applies to, uh, to heads up as well. But yeah, strategies are different. Everything can work as long as you know how to make it work. And that's you know one of the problems that not the problems, but 
one of the issues I take with people who are blind believers in solvers is that you know you try to replicate a solver in a game like PLO especially it's pretty much impossible you're going to keep making so many mistakes without realizing you're making mistakes because you justified by hey but the solver told me I'm supposed to see about this on the flop well it's mm-hmm. great if you know what you're doing on the turn and river if you don't then why the hell are you just blindly following it and then spewing the money on later streets exactly yeah i'll, I'll give you an example related to no limit so uh, some years ago, I saw some sauce videos where uh, he would check all the flop and he would show, uh, model it in CREV and he would donk the turn for about fifth pot. And, uh, you know, he would say, OK, on this, let's say, middling middle, this middle card pairing, I would just dog my full range quarter at like fifth pot. So I would do the same. But then I realized, I mean, uh, nowadays I would put that in a solver and actually it would, it would donk quite a bit. So, OK, cool. But what about what about you can't just donk and say I'm done with it? How do you three bet once the guy raises? How do you lead river for a small size or a big size? How do you worry about, how do you make sure you still check call a strong range or check raise a strong range? You have to figure out all of this. You can't just say, well, I'm going to donk and that's the end of it. You have to figure out everything surrounding that play, right? Mm -hmm. Or I mean, and of course, when it comes to playing against recreational players, I mean, your solver might tell you to play 26, 20, 10, but if a fish plays, let's say 65, 40, for 12, I mean, obviously you can't just say, well, I'm going to open the same range against this 26 VP player, right? Because at that point, you're just a robot. You have to adjust to your opponent. If somebody's 3-betting 12% versus 10% against a 12% range, obviously you just have to be more aggressive. So, and poker is a, is a game of adjustments. This yeah. is not, you're not playing against Pio Solver, right? There is no reward for playing like Pio. The only reward is making money. Yeah. Well said. And that example that you brought up of, you know, imitating Linus with the, you know, betting the whole range on the flop, but not knowing how to three bet on the flop and how to play later streets. It just, you know, such a big point. And I don't know why in every episode lately, I, I bring the same point up. And funny enough, it came up in the discussion with um, Vladimir Kramnik, the world chess champion. He was on the podcast a few weeks ago. And we had a great discussion about AI in chess and how it changed uh, the way uh, top grandmasters approach the game, how they study, et cetera, et cetera. And there was one thing which I really loved what he said. And he said that with his students, you know, he sees that the young generation of chess players, they see that the chess engine just suggests a move, clearly saying, well, it's, it's slightly better than the second alternative. And they don't question which move to take. They just go for the best one, forgetting that it's the best one for the computer. It might not be the best one for you, you know, because even in as a chess player, well, sure, all the information is out there. Everything is available. Nothing is hidden. But if you're more confident playing specific positions, if you put in more work in those positions and you know what's going on there, that's your plus CV play not what the chess engine wants you to do going into some obscure lines which you have no chance of understanding because you can't calculate 40 moves in advance. Yeah, exactly. And I would say in poker, it's say, you know, that, that is even more important. Uh, you know, I would say, I mean, poker says, so it's a much bigger game, right? Because in chess, you can only make binary moves. As in, 
in in limit, for instance, you can bet full pot or or you can bet sorry, you can bet a big blind or you don't bet, right? But in poker, not only can you bet, but you can bet small, medium, large. In the great game of no limit hold'em, you can even bet over pot. So it's such a complicated game that you don't have like you. It's I always tell my students, it's better to play a good strategy perfectly than a perfect strategy poorly, right? So oh, yeah. sometimes they show me a sim and they're like, "Hey, look, uh, on the turn I should use four bet sizes," and I tell them, "Well." Sorry, but you're you're not going to implement that right. You're just going to try something. You're not really going to know what you're doing, and you're going to mess it up. And I would probably mess it up, and OTB would probably do the same because humans just cannot play such a complicated strategy. So of course, you shouldn't dumb it down, right? Uh, there's this trend in uh, in poker. Actually, it's pa- it's passed a little bit now, where you see that range on every single flop. You kind of stop thinking. That's also not a good thing, right? You should not just say oh, I'm going to play a bad strategy because it's more simple, right? I'm not just going to make, make a big mistake in order to avoid a big mistake. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. You should try and mix your strategy and find edges, but don't overcomplicate things just because that's cool, right? I mean, the best, one of the better examples is using an RNG. All the students now, you know, we've got over 100 students now, and they all love using an RNG. And I say, you know, they ask me, should I use one? And I said, yeah, you probably should. But first, you have to know how to use it. So we've got students, we had students who, let's say, who just RNG every preflop decision, right? So I would joke mm-hmm. like, oh, you got seven deuce off, you know, RNG. If it comes out 100 out of 100, you just open raise, right? If, if it's zero of aces, you just fold. No. First, you analyze the hand. You look at, okay, what is my standard opening range? You look at a chart or you've memorized the chart. You look at, okay, who's behind me, right? Are the opponents good? Are they bad? Are they, are they aggressive? Are they passive? What about the stack depth? What about the rake? Uh, what about you know tournament implications potentially if it's a tournament and then if it's super close maybe you adjust or let's say you know let's say king ten offsuit under the gun and six max that's quite a loose open raise but it's okay sometimes right so if let's say you play five OTBs okay you want RNG and raise it let's say half the time that's mm-hmm. fine but if if you have a 17 12 three player in the big blind and the other players at your table don't three bet you at all you should just open it 100% of the time because nobody's going to do anything about it. Now, if you got three fish in position with three at 15% each instead of 10, right? Or I'm just naming 10, but let's say around 10 is solid. Obviously, you should not open your hand because you're just going to get three bet and you'll just have to fold, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, when decisions are closed, you could maybe use an RNG and I use an RNG every day, by the way, but it doesn't mean you should just stop thinking about the game. Think about the game first and then you use an RNG or then you look at the... Uh, at the solver output or whatever your uh, what, whatever is the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great point because I feel like a lot of people just basically pass the decision making process onto something else, like an RNG. You know, whenever you're not sure, um, a lot of people are just like, whatever, I'm just going to do it random. Is that really a good idea? I don't think it is. And by the way, the reason I'm so adamant about that is because I was kind of guilty of the same thing for a while, right? I mean, you hear about the RNG and it's kind of cool and, you know, you start playing around with it. And before you know it, you're doing the same thing. And then you eventually snap out of it and think, hey, 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 you know, the, the R- like Pi will tell me oh, I'm not allowed to do something. As in, I know I'm going to win the pot 100% if I do X. But I'm like, well, I'm not allowed to. Well, what does that mean? The goal is to win the pot, right? Just because yeah, I'm not exactly. following some kind of rule system. I mean, it, yeah. it makes no sense. Right. Let's say you want to see that full range on the flop. That could be a great strategy. 
But imagine imagine if your opponent imagine if your opponent promises to just open shove the turn if you check behind. He promises. And you've got top set. Would you still see bet because you see bet? No, you would check behind if he promises you the full stack, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a bit of an exaggerated example, but I mean it does work like that. Yeah. If let's yeah. say your opponent plays properly, okay, maybe you see that's full range on a certain board. But if let's say you believe he applies way too much pressure. Let's say the flush draw gets there and he just goes like 3x pot, 5x pot. Well, why not check back a flush draw, mm-hmm. right? You'd still see by that board at high frequency just because of how the board interacts with both your ranges as in it improves you significantly more than it does him. But you can't have a check back range if you believe your opponent just goes absolutely crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Or let's say your opponent check raises the flop 30% of the time and he, I mean, and you cannot possibly bet call enough, Right. Why don't you check back and instead delay seabed more? Or why don't you bet and then double barrel him? There's other ways to make a certain line work. Mm-hmm. Is it, or, I mean, let's say if he check rate is 30% of the time, on the turn on the river, you're just going to blast him, right? You're just going to own him because his range is way too wide. He cannot do anything. He's just going to have to overfold or he's going to have to call down with bad hands because his range is just too wide. So there's many ways of exploiting people that a lot of people are afraid to use because they are, they're used to the system of, oh, I have to see bad range. I have to check range. I have to do this. They don't think outside the box. And I am so adamant about this, not because I'm a great player. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that because I'm guilty of all these things myself, right? And, and when I play badly, uh, you know, so all of a sudden I snap out of it. I'm like, what am I doing? I've completely stopped thinking about the game I'm just, you know, I'm just playing like a robot, basically. Mm. I mean, they should just kick me off the site for for botting almost, you know, because there's some kind of, you know, mediocre bot in my head. Yeah. Right. You have to think about the game of poker. You have to think. Yeah. That's why nowadays I also recommend just not playing too many tables and really focusing on quality of play. I think Mm. that's very important. That is a good advice. And uh... Uh, by the way, uh, I hope poker stars and ACR are not listening. Please do not ban me. I am not botting, right? Uh, <laughs> bots in your head do not count. So I'm just kidding. Yeah. You know, you know how people are nowadays. I read yeah. a. I'll, I'll I'll let you talk in a second. Sorry to go on a tangent. I read a. Um, I I read a post. So and a few streams ago, somebody said there's an account called Ben Affleck, right? And they said, oh, is that the real Ben Affleck? So I said, and so there's a real Ben Affleck on, on ACR. And somebody said, oh, there's a Ben Affleck on GG Poker. I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know. Okay, so do you think it's really him? And I said, well, I don't think there's any chance it's actually him. And then two days later on 2 plus 2, somebody said, MMA Sherdog says that Ben Affleck on GG is the real Ben Affleck. I'm like, what? I, I almost commented, like, are you out of your mind? I said, there is no chance it's him. And then they said, oh, it is him or it is probably him. Yeah. I, was, I thought, like, how can people be so dishonest? As in, are they doing it on purpose? Or are they just, you know, is it, you know, like the telephone game where they keep on changing a certain message? Yeah, I think it's a telephone game nonstop with the social media and with whatever we say, you know, things get, you know, people hear what they want to hear or mm-hmm. they don't hear anything at all. They just don't listen, you know. Yeah, exactly. Because they said, well. oh, MMA Shark believes it's him. And I thought, well, first off, I don't even know this account. I've never played against it. How would I know if this person is him? But, uh, but you know, how can, how, can I possibly, how can I possibly say it's this person? I've never even played a hand against this person. Mm-hmm. I have, in fact, played against him on ACR, and I know he has a specific play style, right? So I know who that person is, but I don't even know the other person. How can you mm-hmm. just mislead people by saying that? So that's a little bit frustrating, right? Once yeah. you gather just a tiniest bit of 
uh, not even fame, but just notoriety, right? People start twisting your words. It's something I have a lot of issue with. So, mm-hmm. but you know, that's something that kind of goes with it. I'm sure that people are going to, you know, misquote both of us and, you know, put it on some forum and then people will be mad. That's something yeah. you just have to accept. That's one of the reasons why I don't use social media. I mean, I don't have Instagram. I have a Facebook for friends. I don't really use it, but yeah, I do have one. I don't have Twitter. I think Twitter is a very toxic place to be at. I would recommend, I'm not saying guys remove it, but I would say at least think about what you read and how much time you spend there, right? Because all the time you spend reading memes and reading news, which could be fake, maybe spend it on your own poker, uh, you know, just playing poker, studying poker, going to the gym, uh, meeting your friends, meeting your family, maybe volunteering somewhere at, at, let's say, a local dog shelter. There's so many ways to develop yourself. I think if you're constantly stuck, uh, stuck looking at your phone, you're only you don't really progress, right? You're just constantly thinking, oh, look what look what others, other people have got rather than saying, oh, they've got something that I want. I'm going to go with, into the real world and try and get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good advice, definitely. For a lot of people, limiting the time they waste. Because if we think about how much time we waste throughout the day, like if as poker players, we'll look at how is the day constructed? Like how do you spend your time everybody has some extra time that they could use for studies or for some extra few hands here and there you know just being efficient is such a such a big thing oh yeah for sure for um, sure i mean I if, wanna... you, if you if you truly enjoy it it's okay right well, that's fine but yeah, I'm just saying as long that as you're not probably... fooling yourself you know because it's exactly. easy to say well you know i really enjoy it I like heroin. It's great. Is it really? You know, is it is it really good for you? Well, I think that if you develop yourself, you have more fun in the long run, right? You can let's say you can let's say look at a certain beautiful girl on the internet, but in the end, you're still going to be alone, right? Mm. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's yeah. fun short term, but I think in the long term, it's better to go out there and try and work on yourself. And yeah, that's very very difficult, right? It's it's very stressful, but in the end, I think you'll be more satisfied. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of misquoting, I uh, I can already imagine how people are going to say, oh, Ranchix loves heroin. He just said it on his podcast. <laughs> it was just an example, guys, all right? Just for you explanation. You haven't done a heroin in a long time. No, no. The, the needle has been broken. <laughs> They're definitely going to quote now. Never tried heroin, okay? Just to clear this out. But you know what? I want to come back to a serious note. Um that RNG discussion that we were having, because I'm also quite passionate about it. I think it's people make so many mistakes with this and it circles back to the same discussion we were having about knowing the lines that you're going to take. Because a lot of times people make a mistake with RNG of they arrive, let's say, on a flop. They know that there is a mixed strategy that they're supposed to execute. They know that. And it's correct. It's what the solver says. Great. So they go for it. They go for the RNG. But one of those lines, they actually don't know how to really execute it. Because then when they see the turn in one of those lines, they're, they're actually lost. So mm-hmm. taking the RNG in, on the flop was a super stupid decision. Because basically, when it hits to that obscure line, you're lost. That's why, for example, the, the better players, they can use RNG quite efficiently because there are not so many lines where you're just absolutely, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. 
No, but for sure. For weaker players, you know, just relying on RNG way too much is just a recipe for disaster. You're better off just thinking through the hand, making decisions yeah. based on what you understand, as opposed to delegating the decision-making process to some randomness mechanism. Exactly. And if you're an intermediate level player, you probably don't play the high stakes. And so you'll see people making significant mistakes in every hand, right? And so there's not much of a reason to use an RNG. If I'm playing a guy like Linus Love and Six Max, usually call, fold, and raise have roughly the same EV, right? So I'll have to randomize this, my decisions more. So I'm not way too aggressive or way too tight because he'll put me in a tough spot. But if mm -hmm. let's say, as I said, you know, if you play against five recreational tables at NL2, there's no reason to use an RNG, right? You should just look at how these people deviate from a good strategy and then try and exploit them, right? And that doesn't mean you should not learn proper fundamentals or even employ them sometimes. But, you know, the greater the, like the, the, the weaker the player, the more of an adjustment you can make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, I mean, generally I play, you know, my, my main stakes are 25, 50, 50, 100. So I usually play against one recreational player and four top opponents. So unfortunately, I don't get to make those adjustments quite as much as somebody who plays on all 50, right? But uh, so I have to use an RNG more for more. But for you guys listening, I imagine a lot of you are playing like low stakes or low mid stakes. The RNG can be a powerful tool, but only when used right. I would say, you know, if you happen to not have one, there's no rush to get uh, to, you know, to getting one. Well, I mean, getting an RNG is as simple as, you know, the, the old trick, for example, with the clock face, which I, I remember I used to use it when playing live poker, you know, just a mechanical clock or watch, watch, uh, so basically wristwatch, and you would randomize by, you know, wherever the second uh, hand is on, on the wristwatch. What a waste of time, I have to say. You know, and I used to do it all the time. I was like, "Oh, should I should I call now? Should I raise? Let's look at the watch." You're mm -hmm. better off using that time actually thinking through your decisions, making mental notes about your opponents, and very rarely in the live poker situation you're actually in a position where you need to randomize because very rarely you're going to be facing people who you know deserve that type of attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, for sure. I agree with you. I agree. Listen, I want to talk, since you've uh, mentioned now, uh, you know, you're playing 5K, 10K games on a regular basis. I want to talk a bit about the swings. You know, because mm -hmm. re recently, obviously, we had that very public, visible swing of, you know, $1 million one way and then the other with Venivedi against Galfond, obviously, Mm, Galfon's match against Action Freak was pretty big swing as well. Who actually won that uh, that challenge? I know Vinny Vidi lost. won both. Yeah, Galfon won both. Won, okay. Yeah, Galfon's a beast. Yeah. <laughs> but so these swings are quite in the public eye, and I know that a lot of people. It's hard to comprehend. You know the mental aspect of it, because the sum of money. The value of money, because like, you know, when you hear about the $1 million swing, some people might see, oh, wow, it's a house, it's a yacht, it's a whatever, it's like 20 car garage or something like that. How do you deal with the swings on a regular basis? Because, I mean, surely in your games, you have pretty sick swings as well all the time, especially if we just look at the dollar value. Yeah, um, it's, I mean, some people are just more, are more sensitive to it than others. Uh, I have the 
benefit of not really caring about money too much as in i don't i don't really need i don't really need a lot of money in life as in i have a you know a basic apartment i like good food and everything but i don't really care about possessions so i don't really care about the money too much if you do care what i recommend is just you know playing with tighter bankroll management uh, getting staked selling action that type of stuff right so uh, what i do do remember is when i was playing far on the road in the beginning of my career I'll be extremely stressed, right? Because if let's say you have, excuse me, let's say you have 40 buy-ins and you lose five of them, I mean, that's scary, right? Because you're nearing zero. And then if mm-hmm. you have zero, I mean, I always say you should see going broke as death, as in you absolutely under no circumstance can go broke unless maybe you're 18 and you live with your parents. But I mean, for me, I'm 27 years old. I don't live with my parents. I absolutely cannot go broke and have to move in. Uh, if I went broke, I'm not sure I could just run it up again because I, I would be so exhausted. So if you can't handle that, I, I suggest you taking it easy as in get, get staked or sell action or whatever. So I, I never really did that. I always just, I actually always just pushed hard. Just like, you know, I wouldn't sell any action and I wouldn't always, I wouldn't always play role. I would actually often play under role. And I mean, I'm not sure that was the best decision in the end. So I really always redlined when, everything when it came to poker, but that does take a toll on you. So in the last few years, I've definitely tried to no, turn it down a little bit because I thought I can't really keep this up. Just like play 12 hours every single day, not take a break for, for like three years in a row, basically. It, it's just not very healthy. So yeah, basically I would recommend just playing, let's say like six days a week and then playing, taking one day off, right? Playing with good mm-hmm. bankroll management and not pushing things too much. Because I mean, they definitely took a toll on me, right? Just saying, oh, look, in these last few weeks, I've lost a quarter of my bankroll. That's, that's uh, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, you know, it's pretty hard to deal with. So one thing Phil Galfond advised me once, and I definitely agree with this. He said, if poker is your life and poker goes badly, your, li- your life's going badly, right? Whereas if poker is an important aspect of your life, but you've got other great things going on, then maybe poker is one a quarter of your life and those other things are going well. So three quarters of your life is still going great, right? As long as you don't mistake that for not focusing on poker, but let's say let's say you've got a wife, you got kids, and you play poker, and you have like one more passion that you, you know, you work on every day, painting, let's say, right? So you see, okay, my wife is doing great, my kids are doing great, I am still painting, having fun. Okay, poker was just not doing so great, right? Mm-hmm. So then you can just say, look, I'm very happy with my life, but that part of my life wasn't so great. Whereas, you know, if poker is your whole life, as I said. You know, I mean, basically, the amount of flips you win that day is going to determine your happiness. And that's a very unhealthy approach. And by the way, once again, like every time I give you guys advice or, you know, give you my opinion, it's based on me having done something wrong, right? It's not me saying, look, you guys suck. No, I'm just saying this is what I did wrong, what I did wrong. Don't do what I did, right? Because it was wrong. That's what I try and tell my students, right? I basically tell them about the good things I did, like, hey, try and implement these things, but don't do these things because it will just make you unhappy or, or stressed or unmotivated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you manage to switch off? Like after your session, uh, do you actually manage to completely leave poker at um, the computer, which you shut down basically? No, me not at all. Not at all. So if I play a long session and I... Uh, let's say played badly or a lot of things happened. I think about it for the next few hours. So that's mm-hmm. why one more thing I'll, 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 I, one more thing I try to do is not play right before I go to bed. So if let's say I go to bed at, at let's say two in the morning at like 11, I would quit because then I can watch a TV show. I can, 
do a workout, I can do something, right? So basically, the, before I close my eyes, the last thing I have in my mind is not poker. Whereas if I go to bed at like 1.40, like if I, if I shut up my computer at 1.40 and I go sleep at 2, I'll just be thinking about hands constantly. I'll have nightmares about hands and going busto and whatever. And that's not a healthy mm-hmm. approach. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, the same as, you know, just looking at your phone right before you go to bed. I would say take some time off, go hang out with people you love or, you know, spend some time on your own. Just reset your mind and then you go sleep. Yeah. Solid advice. Because I know a lot of people are actually struggling uh, with shutting down and, uh, you know, leaving poker away. And your advice of, you know, at least don't play before going to sleep. Definitely healthy. Absolutely. And also take, give yourself some time to wake up. When, when I had a... When I, when I had a near full-time job, I would just, you know, when I was off on work, I would just wake up and 10 minutes later, I'd be playing four tables of Zoom. And that's also not mm-hmm. good. Whereas when I just, you know, walked outside for a little bit, played with the dogs, you know, had breakfast, maybe, you know, just did a little bit of a workout. And then I started playing or had a bit of a poker warm up, just listening to saw, Sauce's smooth, you know, his, his smooth voice. It would just be much better. I used to love it though. I used to love to wake up and first thing I do is just, uh, well, coffee and then straight to the tables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, same for me, except I've never had a coffee. So I would do it with no coffee. Right. Well, I did it with no coffee once that sort of backfired. I, uh, <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was playing, I think it was an ACR. So I start the lobby you know before going for the coffee i see the lobby hey there's like five people that i've never seen before they're playing i believe it was 5k mm-hmm. they're playing a 5k game let's go so i sit and wait till my big blind get dealt in the big blind and it's only two cards i was like oh f- playing 5k hold them nice yeah Didn't play hold them for a few years uh, let's see how it goes and obviously i was all in in the first hand i won but still, it was uh, a bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No, no, I get it. So, yeah, definitely take your time a little bit. So, I mean, brute force is all, not always best, right? A lot of people just use it as an excuse to be lazy. But at the same time, you shouldn't just work, work, work without being smart. So, that's and, and the thing is that, point, yeah. that comes with experience, right? I mean, I know that's a kind of a vague statement. So, if I were listening, I would be like, well, what the fuck does that mean, right? Okay. Should I work hard or really hard or not so hard? Like you're confusing me. It is very diff- difficult. You have to basically figure out in which areas of poker in your career you have to put in a lot of efforts and where you should kind of take it easy, right? And as I said, the more the more experience you've got, the more you start understanding like, you know, how to pick your battles. And again, that's why it's great to have a coach because he can tell you all about that, right? I mean, I've been playing poker professionally for, what is that now, seven years so, you know, I've had a lot of bad, bad times and a lot of good times. So I can tell you, hey, avoid this stuff, but go for other things. Mm. And especially in poker, there are so many aspects to it, right? There's the mental game. There are so many dimensions of the mental game, the, the important things, the, the routines, you know, where you're at physically, mentally, all of these things which are easy to neglect, when you're just in your grinding mode of, okay, I'm just doing the same thing every day without really reflecting on it. When you have somebody from outside look at your game and assess where things are you know, at, it's so healthy. It's so useful. It, it can save you a lot of time and um, headache and hardship. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
for sure. I remember I, uh, I, I've, I've never really had much coaching. I've had exactly one hour of no limit hold'em coaching in my life as an official coaching. Uh, but I remember it was, it was so good. It was, I was so happy. I, I basically, I sent my footage to a coach called Peter Jennings, uh, an American reg who was a very, very good player at the time. I'm, I'm sure he still is. I just haven't seen him in a while. And I sent him an hour, like I sent him some footage of me playing, I believe, 510 Zoom. And I thought I was playing like, a, you know, I thought my play was worth a million bucks. But then, you know, he criticized a lot of things I did. And I watched that video like six times in probably two weeks. And I made notes and I, I got a lot better. And I, mm. I really, really enjoyed it, right? So just somebody yeah. taking a fresh look at my at my game. Obviously, the more you move up in stakes, the more people want to talk to you and give you fresh perspectives, right? But when you're first, first moving up, right, nobody really knows you. So... You know, people always want to get a little bit more than they're willing to give. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not like that, I think. But, uh, you know, mo- most people, if they see like somebody asking questions, but not really giving much of a return, like it just feels like a bad investment. Right. So that's why I would say, like, try and give a bit back. Mm-hmm. I mean, a guy like Limitless, uh, by the way, if I were to ask Limitless about a hand, he would tell me what he had because he knows I would tell him too. Or I would ask him even like, what is your strategy there? Like, r- give me some tips because I know he would do the same. Or guys like May Boyfriend, I've done, you know, we've talked about stuff like, oh, what do you th- think about this uh, this hand about this reg? And we 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 exchange some strategy, right? And obviously, we're not telling you telling each other, hey, these are the secret things in our in my game. And if you know that, I can't beat you anymore. Of course not. You have to be nuanced. But I think if you're if you're willing to help people a little bit, they'll give you something in return. And I would say almost like Linus is like that. Victor is like that. Big boyfriend is like that. I mean, a guy like Poker Clocka is like that. I mean, many other guys. They they're willing to give away a little bit of strategy. Obviously, you have to be. Uh, you have to be generous and give some back, right? Mm. You can't just be, it can't just come from one, uh, from one side. Yeah. And that's the thing as well. Like you never know what you would be able to learn because you know, that little thing for you that you might give to them might be a huge thing for them and vice versa, you know, and it's, it's so great to be able to share perspectives with other people, especially, you know, the high stakes environment, a lot of really interesting ideas floating around and, Sometimes you're really surprised. It's trivial to the other guy, but to you, it might be like, wow, never right. thought about it this way. And it's never it's never a fair agreement, right? Somebody will always learn a little bit more than the other. But then, you know, so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Linus will tell me something and I really, you know, I really, like a head starts, uh, I don't know, I forgot the expression, but let's say he really has some, some like illuminating information, right? And it really improves me. And maybe he's like, oh, a shitty spot. What do you think? And maybe he doesn't really, care much about my answer because he's already figured it out right or figured mm-hmm. out what i had to say right but maybe maybe it's the other way around so there's a bit of variance in that but if you just yeah. feel like you have poker people poker friends you can relate to relate to a little bit it's it's a i think it really works out in the long run i've had students who play like nl25 and they tell me something I'm like shit yeah he's actually right now i'm like okay listen we don't forget about mistakes or whatever you're right i'm wrong Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you play, if you talk strategy with somebody who plays high stakes, they're right more often than somebody who plays in on 25. But I've had it many times. Like mm-hmm. uh, when I, what I like about uh, coaching is that even though I'm coaching my students, I'm coaching myself as well. And sometimes they're coaching me. Mm-hmm. Right. I Absolutely. like the guys who talk back a little bit and say, oh, but why? Why? But are you sure? What about this? What about that? And oftentimes I'm like, yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I would fold this river. Or they give me their thoughts. I'm like, yeah. You're right. I think I I think you should call. So because I mean I'm open to learning new things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point you bring up, and of course when you're coaching, you know, first of all you have to crystallize your ideas and present them, 
And oftentimes, even while just doing it, you realize yourself that, hey, this is not so black and white. I need extra information, you know, especially when we're talking about exploitation. Oftentimes, you know, presenting information to the lower stakes uh, students, you would find yourself in a situation where you actually don't know exactly how the player pool plays. Right. So you make some sort of uh, assumption, or at least I make some sort of assumptions based on how I believe the recreational player plays in my games. And then I realized, well, you know what? There's more to it. I never thought about it. I never had to think about it. Yeah, of course. Myself in my games. It's almost like a different game, right? I, um, in, we're going this month, we're going to release a video of me uh, playing ML50. Mm -hmm. So I dropped down ML50, I recorded footage and I reviewed it. And I was reviewing some of the footage earlier and I was like, geez, I played so badly. As in, I played so badly. Almost everything nowadays I would do, do wrong because it's just a different game, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just not used to these types of opponents and I, I needed some time to adjust. It probably took me like a, a thousand or two thousand hands to say, okay, now I'm really two and then and now I can really exploit these guys. So yeah, yeah new perspectives are always good. So I wouldn't be shocked if like, in a certain game, like a, a player who is, let's say, my student could have the same win rate as I would, right? Probably not. I think it would have a higher win rate. But basically, like, I would know a lot more about the game than he would, but he would way, be way more prepared for the game, right? Yeah. So, so my knowledge just... of the game would be greater, but his preparation would be greater. So in the end, I think I would probably I would make more money th than him, but it wouldn't be by much. Whereas if, let's say, he said my game, obviously I would have a significant edge because I'm fully prepared for that game and he's not. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And yeah, obviously a, also the higher you go, the more the other aspects kick in, you know, because it's it's easy for you to go and play an L50. For somebody to jump in with a 10K buy-in, for example, it's a whole different ball game now. You know, if you're not mm -hmm. used to this, I remember the first time I played the high stakes, it was a lot of... Well, adrenaline, basically, you know, you're all in, oh, you're yeah. like, oh, it's a flip, it's 50-50, but, you know, your heart is racing because you're like, oh my God, this this is a lot of money. Oh yeah, for, for sure. I remember the first times I played 200, 400 at PokerStars, it was, uh, was nerve-wracking for sure, but that's okay, right? That's okay. And did I play a bit money scared and did I probably get bluffed a few times? Yeah, probably. Wouldn't be shocked. Mm -hmm. So that, that just happens, right? And eventually, yeah, you get used to it, but... Uh, I mean, you realize, like, what the hell am I doing with my life? I've got way too much money at the table. I could just be in school right now. Mm. So, but that's okay. It's also fun, right? It's fun when you don't overcome that and you start winning pots, et cetera. So, yeah, it's fun. I mean, back then it was like, yeah, we played like the Bill Perkins games and everything. It was a lot of fun, but it was nerve wracking because he, he basically said you had to buy in for $100,000. Like, $100,000. I was like, Jesus, I have to look. Like, I barely have that amount of money in my in my account right now. It would just be nerve wracking, thinking, "Geez, I'm I'm risking my balance of poker stars." That's 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 quite scary. I've never really had mm. that. So, but at the same time, then eventually you overcome that, right? Yeah, eventually you numb down. Well, that's one of the things you know how those recreational players actually get a tiny edge in those games, especially against you know, the, the newer whiz kids, people who are not used to and, and come in a bit money scared. It's like you oh, said, yeah. if if, sure. if the amount of money you sit down at the table, if it's a lot of money for you, you're not going to be able to make perfect decisions all of the time. Yeah, of course. I mean, those Bill Perkins games, right? Bill, Bill Perkins probably had a net worth of hundreds of millions of dollars. 
Whereas at the table, probably, you know, the majority of people are selling action, right? So mm. they probably took too, too big of a piece themselves. And then they also sold to other people. So they obviously don't want to lose their money because, you know, they, they were given a lot of money. So that's, you know, that's a scary thing. And Bill Parkins will just play and he's not afraid at all. So yeah, that definitely will give him an edge yeah. for sure. Doesn't mean he's going to win. Doesn't mean he's going to win, but yeah. it gives him an edge. It does give him an edge. Well, at least, you know, it reduces the the technical edge that the other kids have in the game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, levels the field a bit. Sure. Did you hear about his book, by the way? Bill Perkins's book? Yeah, Die With Zero. It's been advertising. I mean, you're not on social mm. media, so you might have no. missed the whole... I, I, I... Okay, so I, I would understand the premise because I've heard him say on stream that he wants to spend all his money before he dies. Mm. So I guess that's what the book is based on. Uh, is, obviously, yeah. it's very easy to say when you you know are or used to be a billionaire, right? Yeah. Rather than you know basically making some money and keeping ten percent of it post expenses. If you're lucky, a lot of people don't manage that. So obviously, it's easier said than done. But yeah, I mean. It makes sense for him, right? For him, it's probably the best approach because you can't take the money with you into the grave. So no. obviously you want to leave some to your, to your children, but uh, sure, if, if that's what he likes. I mean, he, he doesn't mind being in the spotlight and like, you know, just living like a baller. That's not the type of life that would satisfy me, but mm -hmm. you know, it works for him. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, I mean, Bill is a great guy. So I almost went to lunch with him one time. We weren't able to make it, uh, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great guy for sure. Smart guy and just like a, a very fun, you know, just like a very fun guy. So you yeah. you can definitely learn from him. Even though back then he was a pretty big fish. Nowadays he's not anymore. The last few times I played him on Poker Stars, he'd improved leaps and bounds. So you mm -hmm. can you see that even the I mean he's just a smart player, so he was able to improve. But he's a wise guy. He he knows a lot about life. Yeah, and he loves the game. So of course he's interested to accept the challenge and improve and. Uh... There's no fun in just spewing money. I mean, it's all about learning and improving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, his book is great. You might actually like it. I really enjoyed it. I recently read it. Um, so is it about what uh, what I said? Like It is about know. what you said, but you know, there's, okay. there's way more to it. It's not all about, you know, just bowling it out. And, uh, you know, he, he basically talks a lot about maximizing your life experiences, you know, because money as such has no real value unless you... You know, say if you invested in some experience like travel, you know, that's something that's going to stay with you. But mm -hmm. traveling now is a really different experience than when you're going to be 80 years old or something like that. You might, oh, might sure. go to the same place, but hey, it's not going to be the same experience, you know. But he also yeah, talks like, for example, if you don't care about all the material stuff, he also talks about, you know, if, if you're going to, do charity or something like that. why wait till you die basically to give to charity if the charity needs money now you're better off giving it now you know some some points like this and i quite enjoyed it you know it's a different perspective to what a lot of people are saying and definitely some really good ideas in the book yeah i mean it's something that i basically had to force myself uh, to do when i first moved to malta I got a room in a, you know, in a, in an apartment with three other guys and I was paying 400 bucks a month and I was probably living on like 800 euros every single month. So I was making a decent amount of money, you know, moving up to mid stakes and mid high stakes. And I was spending 800 euros every month. And I did that for a long time until eventually I, I basically, you know, a lot of people force themselves to spend less money or drink less. I forced myself to spend more money because I was never really enjoying myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because everything was about work. And nowadays, I mean, you know, 
it's actually a struggle as in not spending enough money. That sounds ridiculous, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, but it is. Hey, you're going to enjoy I, the book. I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. you're going to enjoy the book because okay. he's actually talking about exactly the same experience of, you know, a lot of people on Wall Street or elsewhere just basically grinding it away, 60-hour, 80-hour weeks, and they make all the money. They don't even have time to spend it, and they don't even have exactly. ideas on how to spend it because it seems like, oh, you know, I don't care about, you know, paying like 300 euro for the dinner that's not my thing you know i don't need the flashy car but there's so much more you know but if you spend all of your time focused on work you don't get time to actually come up with the ideas no i agree it's a, it's a fine line right and it comes with experience so yeah you have to you have to work hard if you want to get somewhere but you know don't spend all of your time working i mean do you believe that jeff bezos is more happy than we are right now Jeff Bezos has, I believe, like $190 billion, but he got divorced. He probably works 80 hours a week. Uh, he is under tons of pressure. Like, is that mm -hmm. guy really happy? I don't know. I mean, I think part of him is really happy with pursuing the huge goals that he really enjoys, right? With all his space thing and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he's working on things that he's probably really, really passionate about. And For sure. that's a good thing. But like you said, I mean, this guy's been working his ass off and some things in personal life didn't work out. Maybe he grew from the experience, you know, and now he's enjoying himself a lot. I don't know. But I don't think it's the money that makes the difference. You know, a lot of I know a lot of people who don't make that much money and are way happier than, well, let's put it this way. They're really happy. You know, with what they mm. got, and they got a lot because a lot of experiences, a lot of friends, a lot of happiness in life in general. And you see so many miserable rich people. Um, oh yeah, I mean they've done a lot of studies on this, right? So basically, if you are if you have absolutely nothing and you're in constant danger of dying because of outside threats, because of a lack of food or water, that makes people unhappy. Once they've got once they've got those basics, having a little bit of more creates happiness. But if you have even more than that, it doesn't. And you'll see that people who make a lot of money, they actually are less happy than people who make a moderate amount of money. So, and it's not, I mean, obviously if you have more money, you can buy nice things and that's fun, but it's just all the responsibilities attached to making a lot of money, right? Even lottery winners, most of them, I mean, I don't know the number, I think it was 50, but I could be off. 50% of them go broke within, within a few years. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the exact number, so you can look it up online, mm -hmm. but... A lot of them go broke. A lot of NBA players go broke, uh, like I believe five years after retiring. Again, my number could be slightly off, but a lot of these people don't know how to spend money or how to use money to their advantage, right? I think you should basically use money to get rid of stress. So basically, if you hate going to the to the local bookshop bookshop to print out uh, forms because it's a long walk and it's annoying, you know, go pay somebody to do it, right? So it's a minimal amount of money, and so you can do something fun, right? That, that or let's say. Let's say you love going out to dinner. You spend a little bit more money going out to dinner, but not by just buying things that you don't even care about just to, you know, just to portray yourself as somebody you're not. Hmm. Right? Basically, basically, you, if, you have more, if you've made more money recently, basically do what you've always done. Just spend a little bit more money in those areas, dinner, travel, whatever. But don't go buy things that you don't care about, right? Don't change who you are. And basically, look at the things you, you know, if you turn around, don't look at the things you do not like and spend a little bit of more time on eliminating that. Let's say 
let's say you really hate cleaning, right? Instead of having your cleaning lady over once a week, if you're already lucky enough to have one, you get her over twice a week, mm-hmm. right? So basically you'll have to clean less often, which means you have more time to spend with your kids or watching movies or doing what you want to do. But yeah. don't go buy things that you don't really care about. Like don't change who you are. Basically you became successful. You became happy by de- doing what you already did. So basically work from there and just keep on improving, right? Rather than changing yourself. Um, you know, when it comes to Victor, I'm actually looking at, uh, I actually have like two plus two in front of me again. And you know, it says Victor's name. So that, you know, even though I love Victor and I wish the best for him, I do wonder whether or not Victor's portraying somebody, you know, he, he's pretending to be somebody he's not, I think a little bit, and I'm not sure that will work out for him. So Victor mm-hmm. is a little bit, I mean, Victor is just a baller and he does like attention and he is an amazing player, but I think he's pushing this persona a little bit and I'm not sure that's entirely who he is. So if he pushes that too far, I, th- I think eventually that can make him unhappy, yeah. right? Yeah, I found it interesting in his, in his interview with uh, Joey. He he was saying that you know he, for a period of like a month or something, he basically slept like three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Seems seems a bit off. Why why would you do that to yourself? But you know what? Before we get into that kind of worms altogether, I want to get back to what you said about the cleaning lady example. For example, example for example. Well, that's that's great. That's great podcasting for you guys. <laughs> but you know, my point is a lot of people don't value their time enough. Especially once you start making money, you don't see your time as valuable. I see it over and over again. And for example, the cleaning lady, if as you said, if you hate cleaning up, if you hate washing the dishes, you know, well, get the dishwasher, get the cleaning lady. But more so, learn to delegate. Because, you know, if, for example, washing the dishes takes an hour or two hours of, of your time, how much is your time? Man, you do eat a lot of food if it takes you one or two hours. No, 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 not, not per day. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking on like a week, for example. Yeah. Right? If it takes you a couple hours, how much do you actually pay for that? You know, some people are trying to save money on. Oh, I don't need a cleaning lady. I, I, no, I can, I can, I can do it myself. I'm not going to pay somebody to do it. Really, by doing it yourself, you're actually paying money by wasting your time, which you could have done, which you could have used more productively. And you know, using your time more productively doesn't mean you always have to, you know, study or work at that time, but just enjoy yourself. Because you're going to be more refreshed, more more ready the next time you need to actually perform. Mm-hmm. No, I I completely agree with that. I mean, your time is valuable, right? And when you're in your mid twenties, obviously, it's very easy to feel like you're going to live forever, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you are a little bit older, you see people dying left and right. It's a little bit scary. So eventually, you just feel pushed to you know, you know, get keep things moving to say, well, I've got to do it now because I don't know how long I've got. Yeah. You know, maybe I've got a day, maybe I've got. 80 more years but uh you know it's probably somewhere in the middle but you don't know so it is scary so you just got to do it right now right like if you see a beautiful girl rock around the street like back to that example whether you want to get in good shape whatever go do it now don't go do it tomorrow don't say i'm going to eat badly until the end of the month and then i'm going to start because that means you'll never start Mm -hmm. i have a friend and uh, you know she i met her when she was like 21 or something i remember we met I met her again a few months ago after not having seen her for a long time. 21, she said, at 25, I'm going to quit smoking. 
And so I met her again at 25 and I immediately asked, have you quit smoking? And he's like, whoa, you remember? And she's like, no, I haven't quit smoking. And I said, and I thought to myself, I don't recall if I said it, if you say you're going to do something in four years, you're not going to do it, right? You have to say, I'm going to quit right now. And then in reality, what might take you a few weeks, a few weeks longer, you're doing the best you can do. But if you say you're going to do something in four years, the chance of you doing it is, you know, minimal. Oh, yeah. It's such a great point. And even on the micro scale, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to review my hands next week or I'm going to review them once a week. I'm not going to review them after every session. You're not going to review them. And I've been no. there a lot. Like I've, I've set goals to myself. Oh, you know what? Sunday is the day I'm going to review my hands. Yeah, sure. Sure. If I don't do it after the session, I don't do it, period. Because mm-hmm. then, you know, Sunday comes and you're like, oh, there's too many hands to review. I, I'm, I'm not even going to start. Absolutely. You have to get things done right now, or at least as soon as, as, soon as you can. Because in the end, in the end, you don't do them, right? Some people obviously. I mean, I I procrastinate all the time. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm I'm not good at like showing up on time and be consistent. I'm more like a guy who has spurts of inspiration and then you know gets a lot of stuff done. And sometimes that works for you, but sometimes it does not. So you have to say, I'm going to do something right now. As in, for the last two three days, I've been saying, yeah, I'll, I might work out later, but I know I won't. I have to say, I'm going to right, I'm going to do it tomorrow at exactly that time and i'm going to make time and then when it's that time you look you, you don't think you just go that's it mm. yeah and it's and a then good you actually do it about making time make time is a good expression and poker players really need to make time for things because otherwise if you just have a blank calendar the whole week every day every day is the same it's blank well you know some things are never going to get done mm-hmm for sure. Uh, For sure. Anyway, I feel like we're going quite philosophical again. Although I really enjoy this, you know, it's well, that's fine, good right? To it's, reflect. it's a podcast. We can talk yeah, about whatever. Exactly. But I, I want to talk about something that I find quite a lot of fun, which is Negrano against Polk. Have you been following that thing at all? Um, I I've I mean I do check two plus two on a daily basis, and I do check high six DB. So. Apparently, there was going to be some challenge, which confused me because I thought Doc Polk had retired, and now all of a sudden it's not happening. So, and apparently, there's a bit of banter or a bit of shit talking back and forth. Mm. So, is it going to? So, okay. So, I've been told, and I believe I'm not revealing anything, I've been told that our uh, former Loft of Spots student and coach, Show of Force, is actually going to play. Doug Polk heads up at mid stakes and it's kind of like a warm up for the main event, but now I'm not sure what the main event is. Is he still going mm. to play against Negrano or is it going to be against somebody else? I think he still hopes to play against Negrano. That's why he's uh, flexing out there and trying to call him out for not replying to messages and stuff. But he was he's playing a lot of people now mid stakes, yeah, warming up, as he says. Mm-hmm. Sure, but then he must believe something's going to happen because otherwise, why do it, right? A few months ago, I I, uh, I read that he was really fed up with poker. In fact, that he really disliked it, and now he's back. It's really difficult to quit from poker altogether, but there's no point in him playing, like let's say, like 2-4, 3-6, uh, if he's not going to then play Negrano, right? Also, I don't understand why Negrano would agree to this unless he just has so much money he doesn't care because I assume Doug will... I mean, Doug, Doug was the best heads-up player, like seven years ago so it's not as if he would be he would compete against the top guys now but he's still very good and he would easily beat Negrano right so I'm not sure why Negrano would commit to 
playing a game where he's definitely going to lose quite a bit of money. And, you know, so unless he just does it purely for fun, I mean, Negreanu must be loaded. So I, I don't know why he's doing it, but it, it's a little bit confusing, right? Because, I mean, Negreanu clearly has no chance at winning unless he gets lucky, right? Whereas with other challenges, I mean, Limitless is playing Linus and Philismis, whatever. Like, both guys have a great shot. Negreanu has no shot, realistically. Unless, as I said, he just wins a lot of flips. Or he just hits every flush when, uh, you know, when when Doug Polk has a set. Yeah, you know, I read a few opinions that basically by accepting the challenge, Negreanu might be shifting the, the narrative a bit, like sort of victimizing himself a bit. Because he's ab- accepting basically all the uh, terms that Polk said to him. We're going to play heads up. We're going to play whatever specific depth st- uh, uh, stack depth. We're going to play no limit hold'em. And he's just saying, yeah, 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 okay, okay, I'm going to do this, this, well, this. Well, I mean, Negreanu is a, is, a big, is a big boy, right? He should, If he's not comfortable with a certain format, he should negotiate and say, okay, we're going to play shorter or deeper, or we're going yeah, to play heads that's up, exactly but also play in a point, tournament. Yeah. That's exactly so, well, the point that some people are making, that you know, by accepting everything, he's just going to victimize himself and later say, yeah, you know, look at Doug. He just is a bad boy and he took advantage of me. I'm, I mean, I don't see why. I mean, he requested a challenge and he obliged, right? He's, he was not under duress. He's a grown man with a lot of money. He's clearly not a dumb guy and he accepted a challenge. So that's on him. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody and uh, everybody knows that Negreanu is not better than Doug Polk at Heads Up. So, you know, I mean, Negreanu, as I said, he's a grown man. If he decides to take this challenge, then I would say he, he's not a victim at all, right? If anything, that's... Uh, that's an impressive decision. The fact that he's willing to agree to somebody he on paper cannot beat. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I thought the same about Phil Galfon and Vinny Vidi and, and Action Freak, right? I thought on paper, I mean, just when it comes to skill, I thought Phil would have not no chance, right? Yeah. But he beat both of them. Now, did he get lucky? Probably yes. Did he Did he work out something with giving odds? They did. I don't know in whose favor, but you would just think that an amazing player like Phil, I mean, who is one of the very best 10 years ago and now is still very good, is not going to compete against somebody who's the very best or one of the very best right now, yeah. but he fu- he figured out a way to win. So let's say let's say I had Phil, you know, he almost quit when he was down like a million bucks of Vinny right? Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't have yeah. been a victim. I mean, no, when I think no, of a no. victim, if I think of people who get robbed, like basically taking an advantage of the weak. Phil Galvin is not part of the weak. Phil Galvin is a very rich, intelligent, successful guy. Same uh, same with Negreanu. So I'd say making a decision to gamble, you know without being under duress, without being coerced, without any of these fancy legal terms, I would say that say it doesn't make you a victim at all, mm. right? If let's say, let's say you're overweight and let's say you blame media companies for putting you in a bad, uh, you know, in a, like basically portraying you poorly, you know, then maybe then you're victimizing yourself rather than saying, I'm going to work on being better, right? That's mm. kind of victimizing yourself, just staying in a corner saying, I'm a poor guy or a poor girl, you know, help me rather than say, I'm going to be strong and try and improve myself. That's a bit of a victim role. But I mean, uh, victims tend to be people who don't have much power, right? As in, if a man were to take advantage of a woman, the man is generally in physical control. So the woman isn't a legit victim because she cannot, she doesn't have physical dominance generally, right? So you should feel bad and try and help. But I would say that a 40-year-old man with a net worth in the tens of millions who's had great success in every avenue of life is not a victim when he voluntarily accepts a poker challenge, right? So they can both go play cards in their underwear. That's not, he's not a victim at all. Daniel yeah. Legrand is not a victim. So 
Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, that. it is what it's it is. It's not my opinion. It's just that I said that, you know, I've read a, a few people are thinking that maybe that's what he's going for. That's what, I don't uh, know what's the benefit there. Is it really beneficial for Negrano somehow for, for his image? I don't know. But one You've been thing on Twitter a lot, say, clearly. You've yeah. been on Twitter too much lately. Well, yeah, I am guilty as charged on that account. But the one big difference, I think, between Negrano and, um, and Polk if we compare it to Galfond and the other challenges, because as you said, you know, Galfond on paper, going into the challenges, it seemed like how the hell is he ever going to win? You know, he's facing some of the best. The difference, of course, is that Galfond used to be one of the best. As you said, you know, some, let's say, 10 years, eight years, seven years ago, he was up there on the top. So he knows what it takes to get to the top in that specific game. Right, so oh, yeah, he has sure. he has all the understanding of what it takes, and he can take that path again, and you know arrive at being a very good player in a much shorter time than it would take somebody who never achieved the top levels in that game. Of course, but and thanks. With, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, Phil probably was one of the best in No Limit even a while ago, right? Whereas Negron was never one of the best in No Limit Hold'em, let alone heads up. So. Nograno was probably never better than, let's say, like top 300 at heads up. So I don't imagine. And also, Nograno is what in his 40s, right? It's very difficult to, you know, get up at six in the morning, go grind Sims and play everybody heads up to try and become the best. So uh, mm. I don't see any way in which Nograno would be plus EV. But if he's willing to take this game to attract new players and, you know, just help the poker economy, that would be a respectable decision, right? I mean, if he plays those games, maybe he loses 200K in EV. I mean, I assume Daniel's so rich that 200K does not really hurt his financial status, right? So if he's willing to basically pay down the amount of money and invest an amount of time just for us, I, I, th- I say we'd thank him. It's funny because Doug Polk and Negranu are kind of the same in that they're very likable, but very unlikable at the same time. I mean, of course, you, you may and not very share polarizing as well. There's going to be people who hate one and love the other and mm-hmm. uh, vice versa. You know, it's it's quite funny, actually, to see the the two mm-hmm. camps. I, w- I would guess that most people find Doug as well as Negranu very cool, but at the same time, very uncool, as I said. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that Daniel's an old, outspoken guy trying to help the poker economy. At the same time, he's a he's a hypocritical He's a very hypocritical guy who is extremely annoying at times. Whereas Doug Polk is a guy who is an extremely good player. He Doug Polk has been like he he's played everything. He's never scammed anybody. He's a very ethical guy. He's just he's just he's never scammed anybody. He's great for the poker community, but at the same time, he's also like a bit loud and annoying sometimes. So they like they like I like them both, but I dislike them both at the same time. But they're definitely good for the game. Mm. So I wouldn't root for anybody. I wouldn't really care too much uh, who wins, but. It, I do hope it happens because it's good for the game. What I don't think we really need is this kind of kind of bickering back and forth, right? Who wants to see a 35-year-old guy and a 45-year-old guy talk shit about each other on Twitter about playing a card game uh, for an amount of money that means nothing to them, right? That seems like a first-world problem, right? I mean, this that seems ridiculous. Like, just get on with it, play poker, and we're all going to enjoy it. And we'll be streaming it, and other people will be covering it, and some people will be depositing because of it. It's great for the game, but... Let's let's get it on, right? Less talking and more playing. Yeah, I wish it happens because, like you say, it's it's great for the game. We need this to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
But, uh, you know, maybe Daniel maybe Daniel denied because they were going to play on poker stars and the rake's not high enough because, you know, more rake <laughs> is better, according to him. Yeah, Who that's knows? a good point. I don't know if they settled on poker stars, though. Uh, I actually don't know, right? So, I mean, Doug is American. I assume he lives in America, so he cannot play on poker stars. So I've they could play on WPN, I guess. I, I assume I assume the ground is in Vegas, so... They would have to play on WPN, I guess. Just make create private tables. They could just set up like no rake tables, or maybe like Daniel pays a ton of rake, Doug pays none, so they're both happy because Doug doesn't like rake and the ground who does. Yeah, maybe they could do it on WPN. I mean, that would be fun. WPN is pretty good at, at promoting different things, but I mean, they couldn't they couldn't play on Poker Stars. They couldn't play on GG. Um, eight at eight is not really a big competitor. Maybe they could do it on Party, but no, you also can't. You'd have to because you'd have to be in Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just hope that this geographical uh, location is not going to be a stopper because, you know, it would really suck if Doug um, basically refuses to play any of the options that Negrano is willing to play just because he doesn't want to travel outside the U.S. I mean, look at Phil Galfon. He Okay, he wasn't intentionally going outside the U.S. to play the challenge. He knew that he's going to be outside the U.S., but he combined it with, okay, I'm going to be in Canada for six months, so let's do the challenges. Mm-hmm. I just hope that, you know, Doug is, is at least open to such idea of, you know, let's just go somewhere for a month and play the challenge. Absolutely. I, I hope it happens. So when is it scheduled to happen or when was it scheduled to happen? Do you know? I don't think they had the set date, so it was still open-ended. But, you know, at some point it looked like, well, Negrano said yes, so I really don't see how he can bail out now. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's not legally obligated to play, no, I guess. of course he's The not. same way Limitless was not. But yeah. at the same time, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you probably should try and do it. Sure. Listen, you know what? Just before we wrap up, um, first of all, I think we should definitely do a stream together. Um, looking at... Sounds good. Sounds good. You know, I'm super curious to hear your opinions about, uh, well, let's be it Linus against Limitless or anybody else for that matter. And then let's find some um, PLO footage as well. Mm-hmm. And, for sure. And, and then we do that. You're, of course, streaming quite regularly, right? It's twice a week or something like that. Yeah, every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Euro time. So uh, my stream is only a no limit hold'em stream, and we cover everything. So I've been reviewing some students' footage. I review high stakes games on every single site. Sometimes we do something off topic. Maybe sometimes we do like a live session review. Uh, sometimes we have guests. So we, we try and do a bit of everything. So guys, if you have feedback or guests or topics, please feel free to suggest something. Yeah, and I'm gonna put obviously all the links to the Twitch. And I highly suggest that people go and check it out. And even the website, uh, the YouTube site as well, because I I saw, and let me double check it. I think you recently actually did the review of some of, um, was it Linus sessions? Yeah, yeah. We, we've uploaded a few good videos lately. Uh, so Linus playing Limitless Heads Up, that was a really cool series. Mm-hmm. Uh, me playing against Ben Affleck, that was really cool. That was our 10K subscriber the special. The real ben, Affle- ben Affleck? or The real Ben Affleck, yeah. Right. Not some not not some random account called uh, Ben Affleck. So no, the the real Ben Affleck. So that that was fun as well. So yeah, we we upload a few videos every single week. So you know, some people are students, some people have bought the course or the lab, which are all available on the website. But if you just want some kind of free content to you know just have some fun or learn a bit, 
YouTube is great, right? So mm-hmm. please subscribe on our, to our YouTube channel if you uh, if you're interested. It's just love the spot. So we recently reached a uh, 10k uh, subscriber. So we're we're on the 20k now. Nice. That's a good goal. A nice round number. And I'm looking at the thumbnail right now for your session against Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Playing poker versus Batman. <laughs> I love that. And he, <laughs> there's a Ben Affleck as Batman. Who's your yeah. favorite celebrity, actually, from the ones that you played against? Um, I haven't really. I don't really care about that, to be honest. Um, I haven't really played against many famous players, so... Uh, because I mean, I, it would be fun if they mean something to me, right? So, for instance, I played against Neymar and PK, but I don't watch football. So, then, you know, my friends were freaking out when I said that, but to me, it doesn't mean anything mm. because I don't really care, right? So, now if it were like, you know, if, if it were somebody I really care. So, for instance, if uh, if Max Verstappen, the Formula One driver, if I play poker against him, that would be really cool. That would mean something to him because I'm a huge fan of his, right? Mm-hmm. As in, I watch I, I watch all of his races. As in, I read I read Formula One news, etc. So playing against him also because he's Dutch and he's from basically the same area I'm from. So we speak the same dialect, I believe. So that would be really cool. But me meeting some kind of guy who's got a Wikipedia page doesn't mean anything to me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I like the way you put it. Some guy who has a Wikipedia page. Because actually, I, now I remember because uh, we did one episode with you earlier this year around the New Year's. And you told this story about uh, it might have been that you played against Neymar, and yeah. then Usain Bolt uh, was at the table just observing the game. No, that... no, I did not. That, no, that wait, part uh, didn't... no. Now I remember. This was actually Stefan who who uh, who told that story, and he was so pissed. And he was saying like, ah, oh, this guy, I don't, I hate him. And my idol, Usain Bolt is behind. So yeah, no, nah, I, I mixed it up. No, it you, Usain Bolt was not there. No, it was, yeah. it was PK, it was Neymar. And there was one guy, I, I don't know who he is, but he's, uh, he plays for Barcelona. So there was this gigantic bodyguard and next to him, there was another Barcelona player. I, I, I don't know his name. I, I have no idea. So I haven't, I mean, my friends told me who it is uh, when we play that game, but I, I have no idea who it was, but you mm. same I would have recognized Usain Bolt. Yeah. That would have been a lot cooler because I mean that, that he's a phenomenal athlete. I mean they all are, but somebody I know a bit more about. Usain Bolt was not in the in that room, that's for sure. Mm. So yeah, and yeah. it's funny when you know your friends tell you, "Hey, do you know who you played against?" I've been in that situation myself a few times, and well, especially in North America, because I mean I don't know the NHL stars or NBA stars, so you know. It was mm-hmm. on several occasions was basically, hey, did you know, like, did you know it was him? I don't even know who he is. So no, I didn't know it was him. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that before. I, pl- I played, uh, uh, what's his name? I played Prahlad, Prahlad Freeman for the, the entire WCP series. Oh, and right. like the last yeah. few days I figured out, like, the, I, I told him after four weeks, I'm like, I've been looking at you for four weeks and for four weeks I've recognized your face, but I don't know from what. Like, are you are you <laughs> some kind of movie star or whatever? And then without what one saying, I realized no, it's Prahlad Friedman. I finally know who he is, and he, yeah. you know, he's not. He's he's just known in the poker world. But yeah, I, I'm really bad at that. I don't really mm. care about. He's you know, a I don't nice really guy, care about. Though. Yeah, he's quite, a very, very, like very, yeah. very nice guy. But yeah, I don't really care about that too much. Unless if I'm at Max Verstappen, yeah, that would be that would be awesome. I absolutely love that. If let's say Do you, know you know if he plays poker actually. No, not that I'm aware of. He seems like the type that would, but uh, not that I'm aware of. So if we were playing like some that. kind of he game, seems like the type that would. That's that's awesome. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think yeah, he's the type that would. He, I think he's like 22, though. So, yeah, that would mm. be cool. But other than that, you know, I mean, if let's say old school Freddie Mercury would sit down, I know he's been dead for 29 years, but uh, if somebody like that would sit down, that would be really cool. But, you know, as I said, some guy with a Wikipedia page. Uh, playing with Jungle Man alive is always fun. It's always, uh, you know, the way you see him on TV, that's how he always is. Just like grumbling, but funny and entertaining at the same time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, MMA, I'm going to let you go have your snack. I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do a Twitch together. Sounds and good. We're going to announce it and we're going to let people know. And um, you guys, uh, I guess we'll see you there. We'll see you live. And um, MMA, thanks, man. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, we'll do the Twitch stream soon. We'll be in touch. So thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, if you want to follow us, subscribe to our YouTube or our Instagram or go to the website if you just want to be in touch or if you're interested in you know any of the products. So we really appreciate it. So, And if see you, you want to tweet, time. you can tweet to me because I'm spending too much time on Twitter. So. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it for the both of us MMA. I'm basically gonna be on Twitter double time. All right, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. All right. Have a good day, everybody. See you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to get a regular email from me personally, where I share my key takeaways from each latest episode, go to runchexpodcast.com and subscribe to my newsletter. And of course, I would really appreciate if you subscribe to my channel on YouTube and rate my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or any other platform where you normally listen to your podcasts. This really helps.